So here in Revelation 5, we continue to experience the, the wonder and the worship that takes place around the throne of God there in heaven. And if you remember from last week, we saw that after you know, the Lord Jesus as the Lamb takes the scroll out of the Father's hand, uh, we found three responses of praise in this chapter, in Revelation chapter 5. And, and we spent most of our time looking at the first response of praise last Sunday. Uh, we will kind of finish looking at that today, but also start to look at the second and even into the third uh, response of praise today. Of course, these three responses of praise are directed to the Lamb that was found, who, according to verse 5 of Revelation 5, prevailed. If you remember that word we've seen before in chapters 2 and 3, when it talks about the churches, uh, those who are able to overcome or prevail or have victory over uh, the challenges, the various challenges that they will face, they will receive some kind of inheritance from the Lord. And so uh, here we have the same word. Uh, Nikao, which is referring to the lamb who overcame something in order to qualify him to open, to take the book and to open the scroll. And of course, what did he overcome? Well, he overcame death. He overcame death itself. Uh, because even though he is appearing as a lamb who had been slain, he was also standing before the throne of his father in heaven, very much alive. And so he overcame sin, he overcame death, he overcame the devil, all through the work of the cross. And so that's what it means there to prevail, to overcome, to open the book, to loose the seven seals thereof. And the essence of this praise, though, uh, of course, once that happens, the, the, the whole heavens all the way to throughout the universe in John's vision just erupts into this glorious praise. And the essence of this praise is that the Lamb was not only worthy to open the scroll, that he just took out of the hand of the one who sat on the throne, but he's also worthy of worship. Uh, of course, this is significant because in chapter 4, we already saw that someone else was worthy of worship. Who is that? The one who sits on the throne. And of course, that refers to God the Father. And so here we have someone who is elevated or equated with the one sitting on the throne and is able to receive the same kind of worship. He's worthy of worship which shows us that this lamb is not some ordinary person or individual. He is the lamb of God who, in fact, is the son of God, uh, very God the son. And so we see that same worship that he deserves as well from everyone and everything in heaven and in earth. And this is one of the ways in which God the Father expresses and shows his glory to God the Son. We'll look at that a little bit more this morning, even in our, our message time, uh, because Again, we see that mutual desire for the other's glory. Uh, we see a desire of the Father to glorify the Son and to have the Son receive the same glory in praise and worship because he's worthy. Uh, so again, last Sunday, we looked at the first song of worship. Does anybody remember who offered this first song of worship? It's right up here, right? Uh, we have there in verse 8, uh, we find the 24 elders. Um, more than likely, the living ones also you know, were leading this worship, though uh, we don't necessarily see the words coming out of their mouth or the, the objects of worship in their hands. Uh, these are the 24 elders who fell down and worshiped before the Lamb. And this is their song, verses 9 and 10. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. And hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, 
and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So we mentioned some uh, translations based on a different Greek text. Instead of having the elders saying us, they refer to them or other people. Uh, either way, we see that these elders represent God's people of all time in all places. Uh, that's probably the significance of the number 24. Uh, you know, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. We certainly have the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You add them up to the 24, and you can see that both Old and New Testament believers would be included in this. Uh, I was talking to Andrew a little bit last week as well. Uh, another way that this 24 might um, have a reference to the Old Testament are the, the 24 orders of priests that would present their offerings before God in the Old Testament temple. Uh, so again, we have that representation there. Now, we've already looked at the setting of worship there in verse 8. Uh, we've also looked at the supplies of their worship there in verse 8. So the setting and supplies there in the throne room of God, the supplies included two things. What did these elders have in their hands? Harps and some, some bowls or some vials. That's right. Uh, the harps represent the praise of God's people that come before God. And the, um, the bowls of incense represent the prayers of God's people being offered to the Lamb in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in a very real sense, uh, we see ourselves in these elders coming before God, offering both praise and prayer um, on our behalf in order to worship the one who is worthy, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, we also considered last Sunday the song of worship itself, the song of worship itself there in verse 9, how the elders sang this new song. Uh, it was a new song because the Lamb was worthy to open the scroll and really to finish the work that He, along with the Father and the Spirit, so we can't you know, ignore the triune work of God, uh, they're going to finish the work that they had started in this world long ago. And I think that's one of the, a good way to look at this scroll. Um, several commentators have described it as the scroll of destiny. Uh, not destiny as in a fateful thing, but destiny as in this is the purpose and the plan of God all along. And so the, the scroll that was sealed up in Daniel's time, so God basically was revealing only so much to Daniel in that book, in that revelation. Now he's going to fulfill and bring it all to completion in what John finds in this particular vision. Uh, now in verses 9 and 10, we discovered three reasons why the Lamb is worthy. Uh, last week we looked at the first two reasons, and we didn't quite... Uh, finish looking at the third reason. And so that's kind of why we're doing this little review. Uh, the first reason that he is worthy is found there in verse 9, and we describe that as his sacrifice, right? Uh, the little word for is the translate, translation of the Greek word hati, uh, which has the idea of because. So here are the reasons why he is worthy to receive the worship and the praise of these 24 elders. First reason, because he was slain. He died. And of course, that takes us all the way back to Jesus' death on the cross for our sin. That qualifies him to finish the work he started. The second reason uh, there is also related to this, and that is because of his salvation. Because of his salvation. The song continues, he was slain, that's the first reason, and the word for four is gover governs both of these things, actually all three that we find here, all three reasons. First reason, he was slain, and second reason, he provided redemption for his people, salvation for his people. How? By his own blood, 
out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Uh, so some of the things that we said about this salvation, this redemption that the Lamb actually brought to us and, and especially to those who know Christ here as their Savior, it was both expensive and extensive. It was expensive in that it cost him his life. It cost him through the shedding of his blood there on the cross. But it was also extensive in that it extends to believers out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And that is why he deserves our worship. Uh, because these elders in this song represent us. And so as we come before the Lord in our worship, we need to remember that that redemption that he's provided to us is both expensive. He paid his own dear price of his blood to bring us to salvation, but also extensive, extends even to us. Now, it'd be interesting to know all of our genealogies, you know, to, to know what, what uh, kindred, uh, that could also be tribe or tongue or people or nation uh, that we come from. Uh, of course, we all know that we all go back to the three sons of Noah, and, and then, of course, we all go back to Adam and Eve, uh, so we're all kind of related in that way. Uh, but upon all the dispersal that we've seen in the history of this world, uh, we all come from different stock, different ways, different places, different tongues. Uh, and yet God has chosen out of this world, the, this universal uh, extension that we see here in this, these four descriptions of the world, he's even included us in that plan of salvation. That what's, that's what makes him worthy. Not only worthy for him to open the scroll, but worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. All right, so this leads us to the third reason why the lamb is worthy, and it's because, and we didn't get to this last Sunday, because of his sharing. That is the sharing of his reign with those who he redeemed. So we see his sacrifice, his salvation, and his sharing, all of these combined show us that he is worthy of the praise and the worship by these elders and certainly of us. So we find this sharing in verse 10 where the elders continue to represent us, and they say, and, uh, that ties us back to that hati, to that four, because, and, third reason, he has made us, again, depending on the Greek text you use, them, unto our God, kings and priests, and we, again, depending on the translation, they shall reign on the earth. So he has made us, and to our God, kings and priests, we shall reign on the earth. Now this sharing of the Lamb's reign is one of the results of our redemption, isn't it? This is something that we see both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, in fact, keep your finger here in chapter 5, go back to chapter 1. Uh, this is something that we've already touched on all the way back at the very beginning of this entire book. And in chapter 1, verse 6, uh, John is actually... Um, giving praise already to, to the Lord, and he's offering a prayer of grace and peace to those who receive this letter, especially those seven churches of Asia. And he says, this grace and peace is to come from, first of all, God the Father, the one who is, verse 4, who is and was and which is to come. This grace and peace is also from the seven spirits, which are before his throne. We saw that as the sevenfold spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And then, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. So we have the Trinity right there in those two verses, through whom we get all the grace and peace we need. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, 
unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. We get a sense of that also in chapter 5. And, look at verse 6, he hath made us what? Kings and priests. Kings and priests. Another way that could be put is a kingdom of priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So when we come back to chapter 5, verse 10, uh, this sense of the Lamb sharing his reign with us is also represented here. Again, verse 10, he has made us unto our God, what? Kings and priests. See where he gets that from? Kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. Now, it's interesting because the way uh, John puts it here is that this is something the Lamb has already done for us through his sacrifice and his salvation. It's, it's not looking necessarily to the future. It's talking about even right then, right now even. He says, you have made us, or them, kings and priests. Now, this is something that we often don't think about. As we are believers in Christ, not only will we reign, but we have a measure of that reign in our life and existence today if we're believers of Christ. In fact, he has given us what we can describe as a unique standing as kings, or for the, for the women among us, even queens, all right? Uh, we are royalty. We have some majesty that is extended to us from this lamb in which we have now the privilege to lead others for God. Now, you might have a different circle of family and friends or people that you work with, but in a very real sense, God has given you the privilege through the sacrifice and salvation of Jesus Christ to represent him as a king or a queen before the people that God has put in your lives. And you have the privilege of leading people for God. So when they see you, when they hear you, as you demonstrate God and his purposes in this world, and you speak the very words of God, you're speaking for God, and people have a responsibility to hear you and the authority that God has given you because you are, in fact, a king or a queen before God. You are kings, he says. But you're also priests, a kingdom of priests. He's also given us a unique service as priests. Now, this is something that we're probably more familiar with, which means that we have the privilege to lead others to God. That's what a, a priest would do in the Old Testament. You know, all the way back at the very, um, even before the, the priestly role that we find in the children of Israel, we have Melchizedek, right? And he was the priest of the Most High God. And, and he was someone that not only would um, bring God's blessing upon men, but also was the one that would bring men's blessing back to God. And so we see that relationship between uh, Abraham and God through the intermedi intermediary of that priest, even Melchizedek. And so as priests, we have that responsibility. We have that opportunity. We actually represent people and can lead others to God now. Now, this is what God has done for us through the sacrifice and salvation of the Lamb. That's staggering. And yet so often we don't, we don't live that way, do we? We don't live according to the standing that we've been given. We don't live according to the service that we've give, been given. But we must never get over the fact that we have this great privilege in the Lord. And of course, this is something that the elders, uh, by our representatives, are singing and praising on our behalf before God. Now, this is something that is promised in the Old Testament as well. You don't need to turn there. Uh, but in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, 
Uh, of course, this is just on the cusp of the giving of the Ten Commandments and giving of the law there on Mount Sinai. Uh, the children of Israel are gathered together at the foot of the Mount Sinai, and of course we have all of the, uh, the visions of, of God's presence on that holy mountain, you know, with the, the, the smoke and the fire and, and the lightning and, and all of the different sounds that were associated with that. But in Exodus 19.6, God himself speaks to the children of Israel and says, You shall be unto me kings and priests and a holy nation. Ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, he says, and a holy nation. And now we have the elders that represent not just the people of God of the Old Testament, but the people of God from both old and new, and they apply that Old Testament promise and extend it to all of God's people of all time. And so that promise is expanded to include all who believe in Jesus Christ, no matter what their people group in this world. So again, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are represented here. And it says that they are the ones that are kings and priests. They are the ones who now have this promise fulfilled in them. So that's an amazing thought for us. But there is more to the sharing of the Lamb's reign. Uh, we see that it is present in one sense for us, right? It is present for us. And this is something that we need to not forget, and we need to live according to these truths. But it is still something that we anticipate in another sense, which is even yet in the future. And that's why in verse 10, the elders also saying, we shall reign on the earth. Um, there might be a, an issue as far as the underlying Greek manuscript here. Uh, some, some have it more in the present tense. We are reigning. Um, again, I think this is probably the, the better way of looking at it. It's both present and future. <laughs> it is something that we experience now in some measure, but in the fullness of that measure yet to come. And so, again, that's why this song ends, and we shall reign on the earth. So those who reign now in Christ in a hidden way will reign someday with Christ in a visible way. Now, what are some ways that we reign for Christ here and now in a hidden way? I think one of the, the greatest ways is what we see even when Jesus teaches us about prayer. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, one of the most secret ways that we as God's people, as kings and priests, now, can serve as kings and priests is through prayer. It's a hidden thing. It's a hidden ministry, right? I mean, how many answers to prayer has God done in answer to the request of his king priest, of you or, or of me or of someone else? No one else may even know about it. And yet, in some way, we have been leading people for God and leading people to God, exercising that right and responsibility and privilege as his kings and priests in this present age. But there still is this future thing. And, and we so often focus on the future aspect that we fail to remember the present, but we must not get so involved in the present aspect that we forget about the future. We shall reign on earth. So the, again, those who reign now in Christ in a hidden way will reign someday with Christ in a visible way. Now, of course, that promise points forward as well. Uh, in fact, you can keep your finger here to Revelation 5. We'll get back to it. But go to chapter 20. Of course, this is the, the passage that we started out looking at, the book of Revelation, uh, which uh, really kind of is the, uh, the linchpin, which will determine you know, 
which interpretation of Revelation you're going to have, whether it's all past, it's all present, or it's present and future. All right, so you've got the preterists, the historicists, and you've got the futurists. Well, it all depends on how you interpret chapter 20, which again, we'll get to again. But if you look at verse 4, all believers believe this. It talks about these uh, those who were beheaded for Christ. They lived and they what? They reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, from my perspective, from probably most of our perspective, that is something that is yet to come. That is something we anticipate. So, yes, we have this, this uh, privilege to be kings and priests now. Oh, but what is that privilege going to turn into yet in the future? Um, and, of course, we, we describe this as the millennial period. If you look down at verse 20, verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So you, do you see the two elements that we just saw, not just in chapter 5, but also in chapter 1? We have the priests of God and those who reign with him, the kings who reign with him for a thousand years. But that's not where the sharing of this reign ends. It doesn't just end in a millennial kingdom. It doesn't just end in a, a thousand-year period. If you jump over now to chapter 22, and now we're coming to the time where there's a new heaven and a new earth because all the old things are passed away. And in chapter 22, verse 5, it says that in these new heavens and in this new earth, there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall what? Reign forever and ever. So again, you have that principle of reigning, that principle of majesty, that principle of being a kingdom of priests before God. And so when you come to Christ and you experience the Lamb of God, not only as a redeemer, but also as your Lord, guess what happens? From now until eternity, he shares with you his reign. He shares with you this, this priestly role and this kingly role, this royal role that he himself possesses. And so we come in the name of the Lamb to be able to represent people and bring people to God, but also to lead people for God, just like we saw earlier. Uh, so again, we have this, this from, from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 22, this theme of being a kingdom of priests before God. And the only way that happens is because the Lamb made it possible. The Lamb is the one who brings us into that position. So, again, in light of these truths, if we go back to chapter 5, in light of these truths, how should we live today as those who are kings and priests to the Lord even now? Well, one of the things that I mentioned is prayer. Prayer is an exercise of these roles as kings and priests before God. Uh, another way that we do that is within, again, the circle that God has given to us, especially in our families. Uh, you know, we have a, a, a privilege, a great privilege, to lead our children, our grandchildren, um, to follow after the Lord. That is exercising a kingly and a priestly role that God gives to us. And so there is a great privilege, there's a, certainly a great responsibility, but what an opportunity. And we have the freedom to do that as believers. So that is uh, the first song of praise and worship before the Lamb. And of course, 
as we move forward, this worship and singing that starts by the innermost circle of creatures continues to grow. And it will lead us to the second song of praise here in a moment. But any, any questions about that first song? This is really where we should have ended last week, but didn't have a chance to. So any questions or thoughts on that? All right, well, that leads us now to the second song of praise and worship. And this song is offered by a vast choir of angels, of angels. Now, these angels encircle the throne in heaven, and they sing with all of their hearts. And we see this in verses 11 and 12, uh, where John continues and says, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. What a praise. <laughs> and so joining with the chorus of these elders, and of course as the elders and the, the living ones are bowing down before God, we have a whole chorus of angelic beings singing his praise as well. Now if you go back to verse 11, John tells us once again that he both sees and hears something, right? I beheld, I saw, and I heard. Now, this is something that we need to keep in mind. At times in Revelation, when he sees something and hears something, they're exactly the same. They correspond with each other. Uh, there are other times when what he sees and what he hears are a little different. <laughs> and so when there's a, a difference, uh, there's an emphasis to that as well. And we need to see what that difference is or why there is that difference. Uh, but once again, here, at, here they are the same. So what he sees and hears correspond with each other in a very unique way in that it is a great chorus of angels singing. And so what he sees and hears, first of all, and this is our new outline, is the great harmony of worship by this angelic choir. The great harmony of worship by this great angelic choir. In fact, he tells us there in verse 11 that he heard the voice. Now that is a singular noun. A singular noun. It is one voice, and yet it's the voice of many angels, and that's actually a plural noun. Now, a lot of times when you would think about hearing the voices of angels, that's usually the way you'd put it, just like you know, we come together and I'm going to hear the voices of a congregation, but in this sense, the congregation of angels are seen as one. They're, they filled the heaven and they were singing or saying these words. We're not told specifically that this is a song like we did the elders. Uh, it may have been. It certainly sounds like it just from the wording of it. Um, but they were singing or saying these words as one in complete harmony together as the angels of the Lord. You couldn't find a voice that was separate from the others. Uh, they were all doing it with a heartfelt song. They were singing the same words. They were doing it in unison and in unity before God, in complete harmony. And of course, we know that this truly is how the worship of the Lord ought to be like amongst all believers, right? Uh, we should have the same heart of worship and the same voices of worship. And, you know, Brother Art was again talking about how we come out of every kindred and tongue and, and, and uh, people and nation. And of course, in America, we have the privilege of being a melting pot, and we get to see and hear that kind of situation in our own country, don't we? <laughs> um, I, I told Angie a few times, I, I, um, I don't think we have our Sam's Club membership anymore, but, uh, well, we do through the church. But I enjoy going to the Sam's Club down in Greenwood. 
because it's fascinating to experience the diversity of people that are there. I mean, you will hear all kinds of tongues, all kinds of languages, and you will see all kinds of different people with a different um, customary dress that you know from where they came. And it's really fascinating to see all of these people. And truly, if you want to get a picture of the melting pot that America is, uh, you can go to the, the Sands Club in, in Greenwood and know what that really is like and, and really what it was even before. You know, certainly we have um, a melting pot of, of all kinds of different continents melding here. Uh, and though earlier on it was a melding from kind of primarily one continent, <laughs> uh, the continent of Europe, yet there was still all kinds of languages, German, French, you know, Italian, English, you know, and there was all kinds of people coming and melding together. And so we do have distinct voices, don't we? We have different and diverse voices, again, from every kindred, time, uh, tongue, and people and nation within the body of Christ. This is not talking about just the United States. It's not talking about the melting pot of the, wor of the world. It's talking about the melting pot of the church. And our worship should be in complete harmony. Our worship should be in complete harmony. As if we were singing from a single heart and a single voice. And so these angels teach us what worship ought to be like. Uh, this is one of the reasons why Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.19 that we are to be speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So when we strive to sing in a harmonious way and worship the Lord in a harmonious way, bringing in our hearts, bringing in our songs, bringing it all together as one, um, we don't just do it to the Lord but we also do it toward each other. You know, that's one of the reasons I think why God does say, sing in hymn, uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, because if you have a, a psalm, that's one of the reasons why we do sing psalms on Sunday mornings especially, is because we're told to. I, I think there's a, a lot that kind of miss out on that, because we haven't been singing psalms within the church for a long time. Um, but we also have hymns and spiritual songs. We're singing the same words together. We're singing the same melody or even the same harmony together, and we're doing it as one voice like this angelic choir as well. So there is a great harmony of worship by these angels, and that's how our worship should be. But then, second, John also sees and hears the great host of worship, the great host of worship by this angelic choir. If you look at verse 11, John actually tells us the number of them. So he's talking about the number of those angels, that angelic choir, was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, this is a phrase, of course, that, that uh, you know, we look at and we think, wow, what an impressive, impressive number. Yet it was so impressive to John that it reminded him of another time in Scripture where the exact same phraseology is found. In fact, keep your finger here in Revelation chapter 5 and go back with me to the book of Daniel. Go back to, with me to the book of Daniel because in Daniel chapter Seven. It's not necessarily referring to the exact same event. We need to keep that in mind. So much of what Daniel sees in this vision, he will write down in the language of Scripture. And certainly it alludes to these Scriptures. It's not necessarily referring to the same events as these Scriptures. Sometimes it may be. But he's so steeped in Scripture that the words of Scripture just come out in his description. And so if you come to Daniel chapter uh, 7, verse 10, it talks about the scene of Daniel where when the Ancient of Days sits on his throne, what does Daniel see? Thousand, thousands ministered unto him, 
and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. So certainly this is the same angelic choir, if you will, that John has seen in Revelation. It's the same angelic choir that Daniel saw in his vision as well. So if you come back to, to Revelation chapter 5, uh, you kind of get an idea of where he got that phraseology from. Uh, again, verse 11, the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands. You can look here in Daniel uh, 7.10 and see again where he gets that from. But even though if we were to get our calculators out and you multiply 10,000 times 10,000, and, and that is, for you math whizzes, the point of both John's and Daniel's descriptions is not that they could number them, but that they couldn't number them. In fact, they were numberless. It wasn't so, okay, I'm going to count out all the, you know, 10,000 times, which is why both in both visions, Daniel and Revelation, they add thousands of thousands. So um, even probably another way to, to, to translate that is myriads upon myriads. I think the English Standard Version has that. The number of them is beyond an amazing number. The host of angels was so great. That's, that's astounding, is it? What Daniel saw and what John saw is incredible. Um, it may be that John saw and heard the entire host of the angelic beings worshiping the Lamb. This might be, I mean, if you think about uh, the third song, the third response of praise, it talks about all of the universe, all right? So certainly by then, everything is involved. This might be the entire company of angelic beings. Uh, some of those we're going to see in the future of, of Revelation actively ministering to John and giving him more visions and actively involved in all the affairs that are going to be taking place in this world. But here, they're taking time out, if you will, to worship, to worship the one who's worthy, the Lamb of God. Um, another thing that we find is um, another kind of possible reference here is um, if you remember the shepherds, on the night that Jesus, as the Lamb, was born into the world. Um, I have it here on the slide here. Uh, if you look at Luke 2, 13 and 14, it says, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Uh, that could have been a contingent of angels, or it could have even been the entire host of angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So here we have the worship of the Lamb extending all throughout the realm of heaven. And John is there. It starts with, the, with the, el, uh, the elders and the living ones bowing before. And now it extends to all throughout heaven. But that then leads us to the great honor of worship that is also found by this great angelic choir. And this is their words of praise in verse 12. What do they say? What do they sing to the Lamb? Saying with a loud voice, Worthy, we've seen that again, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Here is the second time in this chapter where the Lamb is described as worthy, as deserving of this worship, worthy of worship. So in the elder's song, he was worthy to take up the book and open the seals, verse 9. Here the angel's song, he's worthy and deserving of all worship, of all worship from all cre uh, creation in heaven and on earth. He's deserving. He's worthy. And the focus is on the lamb that was slain. Now, when it comes to the great sacrifice of Christ, the cross is constantly in view. Uh, this is something that we're going to see all throughout the book of Revelation. The cross is always in view. It is through the cross that Christ prevailed to open the book. 
And it's through the cross that God's people prevail over the challenges in the churches in chapters 2 and 3 or in the challenges that are going to be coming up in the rest of the book. It's the cross that gives victory. It's the cross that prevails. It's the cross that brings that overcoming power. And so again, he is the one who was slain. And that is why he is able to bring the history of this world to its final consummation. But also, through this song of worship by the angels, just like in chapter 4, we can learn some more of what true worship is. Um, This song is similar to the song of the elders in chapter 4, which was directed to God the Father on his throne. So again, we see an equivalency of the songs of praise to the one who is worthy. Chapter 4, God the Father is the focus. He is worthy. Here in chapter 5, God the Son, the Lamb, is worthy. And so these songs are are sung. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 11, the elders say to the one sitting on the throne, God the Father, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to what? To receive glory and honor and power. But here in chapter 5, verse 12, the angels say, Worthy is who? The Lamb, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength on honor and glory and blessing. So we see a parallel there showing that both God the Father and God the Son are equally worthy of this worship. Now, the one sitting upon the throne and the Lamb are worthy of worship because of their sovereign nature as God. Um, The the theology of the Trinity is is pretty clear here in chapters 4 and 5, that the Father, the one sitting on the throne, is God. The, the Lamb, the Son of God, is also God. And of course, we also saw the Holy Spirit involved already. He too is God. But one of the amazing things about these songs of praise is that they too are rooted in the Old Testament. And in fact, keep your finger here again and go back with me to, to 1 Chronicles 29. First, First Chronicles 29, uh, the setting of this passage is when King David offers his own praise and prayer of worship to the Lord for bringing the people together to provide all the material for the construction of the temple in Jerusalem. Now remember, God said, you can't build the temple because you're a man of war, but you can prepare for the temple so that your son, in a time of peace, is able to build that temple, that house for me, even though you know, no house can contain the, the God of heaven, right? But look at First Chronicles 29, and especially verses 12, uh, 10 through 12. First Chronicles 29, 10 through 12. It says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. So this is a public prayer and praise. And, and, and David says, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. You kind of get a sense of what we heard here in in Revelation already, right? For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now keep your Bibles open there just for a moment. And as I read the angel's song there in chapter 5, verse 12, 
Look at the words that John says. Compare them to the words that David even says. You know, there are some that are exact. There are some that might be a little different. There might be some added in either one. But look at that while I read how the angels sing, Worthy is the Lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The point isn't that the lists are equal, that they're equivalent or parallel, uh, but certainly we see this is, this is what doxology is. This is what praise to God involves. It's basically praising God for these things, these attributes, and giving to God any of those attributes that might belong to us. All right, so if you go back to chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5, the characteristics of worship that are common to both songs in Revelation and even in First Chronicles uh, refer to the glory and honor and power of God. All right, so in, uh, in chapter 4, verse 11, and chapter 5, verse 12, the elements that are common to both of these songs, both to God the Father and to the Lamb, are glory and honor and power. So there's three characteristics, right? But then, there in chapter 5, verse 12, there's four more characteristics of worship in the angel's song. Riches and wisdom and strength and blessing. Now, if you add up the ones, all those characteristics in, in the angel's song, how many are there? Seven. That's a significant number. It's not a perfect number, like you know I've heard some people say. It's a, a number of completion. In fact, you're going to find the number seven I mentioned before uh, related to the beast. And so it's certainly not perfect in that sense. Uh, but it is complete. And so this shows that the lamb is deserving and worthy of worship that is full and complete. But what does it mean that he is worthy to receive these qualities, to receive these characteristics? What does it mean that the lamb is worthy to receive these things? Does it mean that he lacks any of these qualities? No. I mean, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they have all these qualities. Infinitely so. There's nothing that I can add to any of these qualities to God. Uh, again, I cannot add to God's glory. I cannot add to God's honor. I cannot add to his power. I cannot add to the Lamb's um, uh, riches. I mean, he owns it all. I can't add to his wisdom or strength or blessing. So when these qualities are referred to, both in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, it's talking about the qualities that his creation has. And any of these qualities that you have, he is worthy to receive. He is worthy to receive. We don't add anything to it, but we give him our quality. We give him our worship through whatever glory or power or strength that we have to him. So, for example, instead of referring to the nature and characteristics of the lamb or the one sitting on the throne, they refer how we worship him. This means that whatever quality you possess or any other creature might possess, he deserves the full and complete surrender of that quality to him. So, any power or authority that you possess... Now, we think of there's all, I mean, you think, well, I don't have a whole lot of power. I mean, the, the Greek word is dunamis. I don't have a whole lot of authority or strength in this way. But there are some people in this world that have a lot of authority, a lot of human power. 
Where does that power come from? God, ultimately, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we have presidents and we have senators and we have representatives. And they go, well, I get my power from the people. <laughs> well, okay, maybe in, a direct, in an indirect way, but ultimately the direct way is God gives them that power. Again, Daniel, we, we hear the undertones of Daniel because Nebuchadnezzar himself recognized that his power and authority did not come from himself. Eventually, he realized that it came from God. And so any power or authority that you possess the Lamb is worthy to receive in complete surrender and submission to Him. That's worship. What authority do you have in your family? What authority do you have in your workplace? What authority do you have in the church? What authority do you have in this world? Like the angels, He is worthy to receive that authority as you surrender that authority to Him. That's worship. That's part of worship. This also means that, if you continue on in that song, any riches, the Greek word is plutos, or abundance, or any wealth that you possess... He, the Lamb, is worthy to receive in complete surrender and submission. So anything that you have, any possession, any me measure of wealth, and you know, we think about what we have as, as Americans, we have a lot. <laughs> Do we surrender that to the Lord? That's worship. That's part of worship. We surrender what we have to Him. Any wisdom or acumen that you have, He is also worthy to receive in complete surrender and submission. You can really keep going down the list. All strength, all ability, all honor or approval. All glory or acclaim, all blessing or affection, anything that you have, the Lamb is worthy to receive all you have and all you are. That's what true worship is and ought to be like. And so the angels basically are saying to the Lamb, you're worthy of this. And then when we come to the, the third and final song, we actually have every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth in verse 13 actually bringing what he is worthy in worship of this land. And we'll look at that next Sunday. So this is what true worship is and ought to be like. The lamb is worthy of the complete surrender and submission of all you have and all you are, your very life and soul. And just like we saw last week with the elders, here the angels, it's an open invitation for you and me to come and to worship with them. Again, Revelation is not just about hearing, or reading, it's about keeping it. It's about applying what we see and hear like John did, accepting that invitation, and even as we go into our worship service, whatever he has given us, all that we have, all that we are, let's surrender back to him, because that's true worship. All right, let's close in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you again for the privilege that we've had to consider these words, this, these songs, um, not only from the angelic beings, but even from those beings that are so close to the throne. And Lord, in, in, that, in a very real sense, we are able to now, through uh, the understanding of your word, to approach that throne of grace, even while we're here on earth. Oh, Lord, what a privilege it is for us to be kings and priests unto you because of the Lamb of God and his great salvation and sacrifice for us, and then his great sharing of that reign for us. And, and Lord, I pray that we will enter into the worship of the elders and the living ones, and Lord, especially of the angels this morning, that Lord, everything that we are, everything that we have, we know we get from you, and may we offer that to you, surrender that to you in worship, because as the angels say, you are worthy of all worship from all of us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.